Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. You have more than 250000 in any institution. You're basically a hedge fund or a savvy investor or a business. You understand your risks and you act accordingly. So I, I think the Fed's mandate about keeping FDIC insurance at 250 makes sense to me. But we changed all that over the week and we said, doesn't matter how much you have. And I understand we want to keep confidence in the banking system. What I would have preferred is to allow this bank run by idiots, and I'm sorry to say these harsh words, but it's a fact. This is a, these, the, you know, Silicon Valley Bank is the poster boy for idiot management now. That I mean, the reviews of Silicon Valley Bank's top tier have not been kind, considering they sold a little over $4 million worth of their own stock in the couple weeks before the collapse. But when Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful as he likes to call himself, the jury is still out, is referring to the fact that you can't bail out everyone including himself, he who had money at Silicon Valley Bank, you can't bail out everyone. And what kind of message does that, does that send? And what kind of message are we sending to the entire banking community and all of us when we see that Credit Suisse is under tremendous pressure? Now, this deals in more institutional world, but you've seen the market down over 600 points today because of it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. EJ and Tony joins us right now, research fellow for regional economics in the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation. EJ, uh, I'm glad you had the chance to be uh, with us. Real EJ Anthony on the Twitter box. Um, I want to get into this Credit Suisse problem, but first let's go back to the, the words there uh, of Kevin and this idea that A, the bank was run by idiots, and B, look at what the government has done when they've said we're going to basically, my words, bail out everybody and make the statement that we will cover all deposits insured and uninsured We've now created a world where nobody loses money. Doesn't that cause us a problem? Oh, absolutely. We, we have privatized gains, but we are now socializing losses. And, you know, the, the dirty little secret here is that everyone who had money at SVB, as, as uh, Kevin O'Leary said, they knew the risks. And you can, by the way, buy private insurance for any deposits over the 250 FDIC limit. And those people chose not to do it. This is the equivalent of me getting, uh, uh, choosing not to get flood insurance for my home. And then when the flood comes and destroys the structure, I want the taxpayer to bail me out. It's ridiculous. But it happens. Now, the, some people have asked, and, and I would argue it's cynical, except it's interesting. If this had happened at a regional bank in Tulsa, Oklahoma, would we have seen the federal government move in this way? The fact that it happened to Silicon Valley Bank with people who are huge donors, with a class of people connected to huge donors. People look at this and say, oh, sure, you're helping out yourselves and each other with our dollars. 
Is that cynical case a rational case, or would the feds moved regardless of where the location of Silicon Valley Bank was? Oh, no, I have a very sneaky suspicion that if this bank were in East Palestine, it never even would have made the news, and they certainly wouldn't be bailing it out. The fact of the matter is you you had a bunch of wealthy political donors at this bank who spent the entire weekend lobbying for a taxpayer bailout, and they spent much of the weekend – like, look at Mark Cuban uh, on on Twitter. He basically spent the entire weekend trying to get people uh, uh, riled up and saying, look, there's going to be bank runs everywhere. Oh, my gosh, we're all going to be murdered in our beds this week if, if we don't have a complete bailout of all the depositors at this bank. And they made up all this, these excuses about how companies aren't going to be, make, be able to make payroll and blah, 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 none of which was true. It was all exaggerated, but it worked, and it got the bailout they wanted. Talking to E.J. Antoni, Research Fellow for Regional Economics in the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation, Real E.J. Antoni on Twitter. Now, we've actually never spoken before, although we do have mutual acquaintances, mutual friends within radio. Uh, Economist Dr. Matt Will absolutely said the same thing about Mark Cuban, and I, the other day, made the exact same reference to the idea that if the bank was in East Palestine, Ohio, maybe we wouldn't see this level of interaction. But now that they've done this, and, and I, so I love that, that you said that, now that they've done this, the question is, how does this change banking going forward? Or maybe more specifically, how does this change the mindset of the depositor? People like you and me, going forward does this change levels of risk does this change for banks have their own personal policing of themselves because it's very obvious and you can dig into this that silicon valley bank was not policing itself at all how does any of this change or does it change you know the moral hazard that has just been created cannot be overstated that that's basically just a fancy way for for me to say that Everyone now is encouraged to take ridiculous levels of risk. Why? Because there's more upside and there's no downside. Because guess what? Now, who is going to pay for this bailout? It's going to be taxpayers. It's going to be the banks that actually uh, invested wisely and and did their due diligence with deposits. They have created uh, an incentive for insolvency and a penalty for prudence. And now everyone knows, because the precedent has been set, Everyone knows that if I mess up, I get bailed out. Let's move it over to this conversation about Credit Suisse, S-U-I-S-S-E. This is not a regional bank player. This is much more an institutional player. Credit Suisse is, is a name you would say with pinkies out. And they have a 9.9% stake taken of them from, I think it's the Royal Bank of Saudi Arabia, the National Bank of Saudi Arabia. Uh, it's the Saudis, it's the Saudi royal family. They're telling the people at Credit Suisse, we can't give you any more money. We're locked out at 10%. These are this is the fault of the regulators. You're on your own with your problems. And this has got some markets rattled. So to the best of your ability, what is the issue going on at Credit Suisse? Why is it that this conversation about the Saudis has come into play so loudly, and where is the fallout here? In terms of how the heck did Credit Suisse get here, I actually sounded the alarm on on them in particular back in October – 
because they were over leveraged and had essentially no protection against interest rate risk. In other words, everyone knew interest rates had to go up eventually. And when they did, it was going to unravel the financial positions that this bank had, both in terms of where they got their deposits and also in terms of what they did with their deposits. In other words, where they were investing their money. And now what we're seeing is that the bank, unless it has a massive capital infusion, in other words, unless a ton of people or a very big institution like the European Central Bank is going to be willing to lend them a lot of cash very quickly, they're going to go under. And in terms of what what is the fallout from that going to be, I mean, it's going to be a lot of financial pain. But if we keep putting off the financial pain If we keep kicking the can down the road, it is just going to make the next crisis that much worse. You know, I I was so aggravated because earlier someone on CNBC was talking about how we're in the opening stages of a banking crisis. No, we're not. We're, We're in the middle, possibly towards the end. The opening stage of the banking crisis was when the Fed and every other central bank put rates way too low for way too long to finance trillions upon trillions of dollars in government spending that nobody could afford. And all that did was hide the problem until now. So just because the symptoms are appearing now doesn't mean that the crisis is beginning now. The crisis began three years ago. Talking to E.J. Antoni of the Heritage Foundation. He is a research fellow for regional economics in the Center for Data Analysis. It's an interesting um, look at it that this began three years ago. Because if that's the case, I think people... Like myself, on the outside looking in, if you will, not having you know uh, the the unbelievable dollars that that someone like maybe uh, Kevin O'Leary has, would look at this and say, well, if this is the middle of it or near the end of it, well, this ain't so bad. Like like we didn't see hundreds of banks collapsing, we didn't see the Great Depression. Nobody was jumping in the main off of rooftops. So this is all uh, pretty easy. You agree or disagree with that statement? Well, I I have to disagree because don't forget, if we're in the middle of it and it took us three years to get here, we got three more years to get out of it. Look at something like the financial collapse we had uh, that was from 2007 through 2009 and look at the Great Recession that followed. It took many, many years for things to actually recover and get back to some relative level of normalcy. And sadly, that's probably what we're going to have here. Now, again, what should happen is these institutions should be allowed to collapse right? They should be liquidated. The people who invested wisely and and protected their money should be allowed to buy up these assets. But that's probably not going to happen because what we just saw is that the Federal Reserve is willing to print money to bail people out. And as long as that continues, again, the more we kick the can down the road and the more inflation we're going to get in the process. Now that, first of all, very uh, well said, if it took three years to get to this moment, it's going to take three years to get out. The middle is, is a relative number. But you bring up the inflation conversation, and the inflation conversation is, is gigantic uh, to this. The spending, uh, inflation is when you have too much cash and not enough stuff. We certainly haven't solved a a supply chain issue. Builders say there's more interest in housing, but they're afraid of what the banks are going to do. And there's been more of a push uh, for mortgages, even though the mortgage rates haven't necessarily come down to what people would have considered three years ago a normal number. 
This involves spending, but I don't think people understand how the money gets spent. So let's just take Silicon Valley Bank. Do we have yet a number of what is being spent by the federal government in keeping them solvent? And how does that play out in inflationary pressure? Yeah, we unfortunately don't have a really good number for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is we're not sure if this bank is even going to be able to find any buyers who might be able to throw in some capital uh, to help alleviate this big liquidity crunch that we're seeing. In other words, they may, that they may be in such horrible financial shape that no one is willing to touch it with a 10-foot pole, in which case it is all on the FDIC, it is all on the government, but the government doesn't have any money. It's our money, so it's all on the taxpayer. Here's the other really scary thing that no one is talking about for some reason. The FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, they don't just keep all of their money liquid. In other words, it's not just cash sitting in an account. They invest it. Where do they invest it? Medium and long-term treasuries, the exact same government securities that lost value and that helped cause the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. In other words, that bank was liquidating these treasuries at a loss, and that caused or compounded their cash crunch. The FDIC is going to go through the exact same thing, which means they don't have anywhere near enough cash to cover these depositors, which is probably why the Federal Reserve on a Sunday evening set up a $25 billion emergency fund to try to help cover all this. But guess what? The Fed doesn't have any money. It creates it out of nothing. And as it does that, it creates, as you rightly pointed out, too much money relative to the amount of, of stuff in the economy. That's all inflationary pressure. This is all going to be borne by the taxpayer through a hidden tax of inflation. EJ, before I, I, I let you go, and I appreciate you taking the time to be with us, the question on everybody's mind is, is this the end? You talk about the idea of the middle, but that doesn't mean that every bank is going to go insolvent. That doesn't mean that every bank is run by, as Kevin O'Leary discussed, idiots. That, that's, that's not what what is true about all the banks that said is there a feeling that we're about to enter a new level of self-induced from the bank stress tests to see just how badly they're leveraged whether beyond the bond side where interest rates went up so therefore the value of the bonds went down or other investments or what they're paying out to people that they're going to have to start searching for cash and exactly how many banks would it take to look questionable for everybody to freak out? Very, very good questions. You know, the bigger banks are actually extraordinarily well capitalized right now. They look like they're in the safest position. But the big wild card here that nobody can predict is the Federal Reserve because no one knows what the heck they're going to do. I mean, Jerome Powell is the same guy that got up there at a press conference and said a 75 basis point hike is off the table. And then he promptly gave us three in a row immediately after that. So no one has any idea what they're going to do at the next meeting later this month, let alone what their long-term strategy is. And frankly, I don't even think the Federal Reserve themselves have any idea what they're doing, which is how we got into this mess in the first place. So looking forward, we really don't have any way to predict what's going to happen with the banking sector. You're a ray of sunshine, EJ. Oh, I, I, wish, I, could, I wish I could give you better news, Tony. I really do. E.J. Antoni, Research Fellow for Regional Economics in the Center for Data Analysis at the Heritage Foundation. Find him on Twitter, Real E.J. Antoni. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz.